Hey, everybody. Welcome to Resource Families Thrive, our podcast by Stanford Sierra Youth and Families Pathways to Permanency. This is Daniel, and I am returning as your host for this episode, um, where we will be just talking with one of our former resource parents about his experiences, about um, the things that he and his family have done. Um, as a reminder, before we do get started, I always appreciate when people like, comment, and share on any of our social media posts or anything having to do with the podcast. Our ultimate goal here is to get this information out into the community, to educate people, to correct misinformation, and share some facts about what foster care looks like, who our kids are, and who we are. For any of our new listeners, I do like to give you a little spiel about us. Um, Stanford Sierra Youth and Families is a merged organization. You may have heard the name Stanford Youth Solutions or Sierra Forever Families. Between the two of us, we have over 150 years of combined experience. We serve a massive area in the greater Sacramento region, um, lots of different counties with lots of different services, but regardless of where we are or what we are doing, everything that we do is to serve one mission. And our mission statement is transforming lives by nurturing permanent connections and empowering families to solve challenges together so every child can thrive. We live, we breathe, we act our mission every single day. And if you are thinking about being a resource parent, as I hope you are, um, then what we hope is that you will join that mission too. As I mentioned, um, today we're actually going to be talking a little bit with one of our former resource families. So they're not a resource family with us anymore, but they were for several years. Um, and honestly, I think I should just go ahead and let him introduce himself. Hello, I'm uh, Eric Edens. You know, I've been a foster parent for, I don't even remember now, um, six or seven years. Um, you know, I've adopted uh, one of my foster children and we're almost finished with the adoption of another foster child um, who is our last foster child because, you know, we have six kids in the home. Be real with me. You're going to keep on fostering once once your kids grow and start moving out. You're just going to pick right back up into it, aren't you? It, it's it's very possible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, it, it's um uh, helping kids is uh, very important to me. That that does kind of lead into why did you and your spouse wind up getting into foster care and this whole foster to adopt world? Well, um, Melissa is uh, an amazing woman. First of all, she she makes everything possible here. She's she's my Wonder Woman, and um, she started out um, when she was young uh, rescuing animals, and um, she'd have uh, I don't know. She probably rescued two or three thousand uh, dogs, and um, and she she did that um, at that time. Because she always wanted to be someone to help foster children. And what started that to begin with, I don't know. Uh, but she felt like, well, right now I can't foster children, but I can rescue dogs and foster these dogs. Um, and at some point, I'll foster children when the time comes, I will. And so when we got married, um, you know, I, I expressed to her that I always wanted to be a foster parent uh, of uh, teenagers, you know, because I had, I had, um, uh, 
a very rough childhood, you know, uh, physical, emotional abuse at home, violence and alcohol and drugs in the home. And um, things didn't go well for me in, in, in my youth. Um, and I was dealing with a lot of stuff both at uh, home and school. You know, I was I was kind of the lonely child, you know, the 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 forgotten child at home, the unloved child. And uh, but you know, I persevered. You know, um, uh, after I made it and I was successful in um, overcoming all the psychological and emotional baggage of my youth. Uh, I, I, I felt like I needed to use my experience to help others because helping other kids who struggled in, in their youth um, actually is a healing mechanism for someone who has gone through that themselves. I was working at this school and in, uh, as a paraprofessional, and um, but there was this kid at the school, and every time I passed by her, I heard her laugh and I couldn't help but smile because I had this inside thing with her and her friends. She wasn't one of my students. She was a friend of one of my students. I used to hang out with the kids at um, recess and lunch and stuff every day. And she was always so positive and happy and joyful and spreading joy everywhere. You couldn't help but smile when she was running. And so even during my worst times, she was able to get me to smile. Break Broke me out of my zombie mode, you know, and, uh, and then I found, you know, I left the school to start my own private tutoring uh, services to pay for college. That way I can go to college in the daytime and tutor in the, the afternoons and evenings and finish my degree faster, right? Um, one of the kids I tutored from the, that school let me know that the girl died. And it turns out that she was, um, she had a rare disease that, cause her white blood cells to continue attacking even after all the viruses are gone out of her body and it would kill good blood cells and so and she knew she was dying and yet she was still so joyful and spreading it to others and helping others have joy in their lives this was a third grade child right and i learned a lot from that right and so i i don't think it's right for any child to go through life and not having that joy and being able to spread it to others. And so, you know, through me, th that third grade girl, you know, is affecting all these other kids that I'm fostering, right? Because I learned from her that no matter what goes on in your life, no matter what tragedy is going on, you still have the capacity to have joy for yourself and to spread joy to others. And so that's why I fostered. You, you, you talk about helping kids to find joy, helping kids to share joy, um, and with that, I know comes a lot of need for things like enrichment and stuff like that. So how have you helped your kiddos, the kiddos that have come to your family, get that enrichment? What sort of things do all of you do together? Oh, wow. Okay. So we're always somewhere like <laughs> we're always getting into the car, going somewhere, doing something like today. We went to go see an al uh, alpacas. I mean, there was a, in, in Loomis, there's a, a lady who, who, um, she has an alpaca ranch. And so we just went there to visit the alpacas and snuggle with alpacas and learn about them and whatnot. And all the kids have their different classes. They take in different places. You know, they're, they're all taking different music classes. All the kids, when they turn five, start learning piano, five or six. And, and then after they've gotten good at piano, they have to, they get to choose other instruments they, they can learn and it's their choice. And, you know, the kids are doing baseball and, um, uh, my 
oldest son and my second son, Aiden and Zachary, are both playing baseball in Little League now. Um, but they all get to do things. They're all not only are they doing all the things that we make them do, you know, and taking them places and experiencing going on hikes and seeing this and seeing that, but they also get to choose things that they want to do with their time uh, and, and things that they're interested in. Um, they get to choose. Um, uh, it's just, I think when kids have the ability to choose what to do with their time outside the home, it's beneficial for them. They have ownership of, of their interests and um, and the things they get to develop, you know. Um, and, of course, they have their normal school stuff. And we homeschool, so we have a lot of control of that. But when I say homeschool, we're not at home. Like, they'll do some of their work at home, but their learning is taking place in all these different places we're going and, and um, different uh, classes they're taking elsewhere by experts in the, in the field like engineering classes and science classes and art classes and you know so but they 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 get so they get so much uh different experiences and i the majority of kids don't get the variety of experiences our kids get how have you explained foster care to your kids is they're seeing kids coming and going from their lives or they have surprise they have a new sibling um, <laughs> after you adopted, um, how have they taken that or understood it? How did you help them to understand it? Fortunately for us, we got started fostering when our oldest child was quite young. Um, and so it was very easy, you know, the older they are, the harder it is, I, I think. Um, but when, when our, your kids are exposed to this from the very start, they don't question it. It's just part of, that's just life, Right. Is, that's just life as they know it. So you don't get those tough questions or feelings or whatnot. I think there may have been some time when Abigail struggled a little bit because she's the oldest. And so she could see a difference between um, her experience with us and then bringing someone else in, you know. Um, but it really, I think with that was, it was just the same issues what we had um, when we had a, another one of our own children added to the family. You know, the 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 amount of time face to face, one on one, the attention. You it's not like it's not that necessarily that you're getting less attention, but it's a different kind of attention because it's a group attention. Right. And so that dynamic change, um, whether it was a biological child we added to the family or a foster child we added to the family, it wasn't any different. It, it was the same. So there really isn't um there really hasn't really been an issue as far as getting them to understand, you know, anything because they're, they're not, we didn't sit down and say, okay, we're bringing the foster child and this is what's going to happen. It was going to be like, we need you to do this be like that. No, it's like, Hey, we got a new, we've got a new member of the family. Here we go. You know? Um, and so it, because we, there was no, we didn't allow a, a foster stigma to set in into our own children. Right. Uh, our foster children, and and especially and now our foster children are adoptive children. Um, they, the kids, they're they're siblings, and they feel that way. And there's no difference between the the adopted the the adopted child and the, the biological child. They all have the same feelings for each other uh, within the group. Uh, doesn't matter. I mean, I, the it, it's just. 
I think it was easy for us, you know, for me at, at least that, you know, just because you're in born into family doesn't mean you're you're actually family. Like being family it's, it has nothing to do with birth. Being family has to do with how you feel feel about each other. And so for me, I don't I don't have those fa- familiar feelings for those I'm blood related to. Right. So that made it easy for me to to just naturally um, provide that type of atmosphere for my kids. Like family doesn't mean you're born in the family. Family means you love each other. That's what it means. It just means you love each other. Um, and so that's how it is. So one thing that we always want resource families to do is we, we tell them to do exactly what you do, which is make these children part of your family, treat them as your own. But at the same time, we understand that we can't parent them the exact same way. Um, What are some of the things that you have done that are a little bit different or how you've had to refocus when you are raising your children in foster care versus how you've had your own kids? Well, that's kind of a tough question because, again, you know, most of the, uh, all but one foster children we had, we we brought in from birth, okay, and so they didn't come from some some other place with uh, different foods that they ate for dinner. They didn't have different music they were listening to. They didn't have different uh, structures in place in their life that we had to 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 manage. Right? They didn't have any of that. And when you have kids that come to a house where the, there are use of certain routines and cultural things and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's, it's totally different that you definitely, that's, that would be a struggle. You have to change things in your own home to make them feel like they're welcome, that they're part of them, they being there and part of that family. And um, so we, we haven't had to deal with that except for the one kid who is, came in at 10 then what we had to do for that child was we had to understand what his limitations were in school because we we had to make we had to help him with school and all that kind of stuff we had to figure out um what worked for him and what didn't work for him as far as learning something um what routines worked uh were sorry what routines they the child was used to and what foods they ate because we needed to make a place for him to feel like he can be successful being there and without those routines that they had in his home before coming to us there's no way of becoming successful in the home like they because they're being pulled away from what they know so you have to recreate what they know in your own home right and that was a struggle for us a little bit um because we were used to having babies coming in and babies you don't have that as i said um and so but you know we we managed and there was no and and there was some you know uh, stress involved and stuff in, in dealing with some different behavioral patterns that we didn't see in our own kids because again this kid was raised for ten years by someone else, right? So there's different behaviors that we weren't used to, and so we had to adjust to those. And that I think was the biggest struggle, right? Um, but as long as you're talking with the child about how you feel about them. Right and and the importance of them being uh, as a another human in your home and in your life, they understand it, and, and of course apologizing for struggling with, um, with them and not knowing from the start 
what their needs were and and you're working together to to fill that gap right as long as you're doing those things and you're having those talks whether they want to be part of the talks or not <laughs> you're building a bond with them that's going to help them overcome the obstacles that you're both facing together right and that's kind of what we what we did now we only had them for three or four weeks um but you know, we learned a lot from, <laughs> we learned a lot together in those three or four weeks. You know, he was the first kid to ever um, beat me at checkers. I have this rule in our, in my house that if my kids want to play chess against me, they have to beat me at checkers first. And so every night the kids would play checkers against me to try to beat me and they never could, but this kid, he beat me. So he got to play chess against me in front of my kids, which was fun. So you do have a wealth of experience. You've got like all of this understanding, all of this know-how that's been built up over your years. And one of the things I know that you are really skilled at um, and that has taken some time to develop is your connection with birth family, including connection with birth family post-adoption. Um, can you share a little bit about that and why it's so important, what it's meant for you, um, what it's meant for your whole family? Um, and we didn't, we never fostered hoping to adopt. Okay. That was not what we did. We just wanted to help people. Okay. And so one of the difficult things was see, taking the baby to see their biological parent so they can have their visits and the biological parents, they see you as an enemy uh, because you're taking their child. They, they see you as a person who took their child. Right? You don't really have that with the older kids. The older kids, we we don't get that experience with the older kids, but with the older kid we had. But that was an experience we had with all of <laughs> the birth parents of the, the babies we fostered. Now, there is, um, when, when their child is in foster care, damage is not only done to the foster child. There's damage done to the parents, biological parents. Now, the, you know, yes, the, you know, the, foster, the child was taken away from a parent because the parent wasn't doing their job properly in such a way that the child was in a harmful situation. Okay. But they're still their biological parent. And no matter what they struggled with, they still have those emotional ties to the child. And they love the child. They may not show it the way people in good situations show it. But a lot of these parents, they're in situations they couldn't control themselves, right? They got in situations where, you know, they got a, you know, maybe they had some medical issues. They got addicted to, to drugs from the, that they were prescribed. They have no control over that. Addiction is very difficult to deal with, right? Very difficult. No matter how much you love your child, the, the brain, now I've talked to scientists about the, the, the functioning of the brain. Uh, and the effects addiction has, like drugs and alcohol and, and all that has on the brain. Um, and what people are going through when they're going through withdrawals, it's tough stuff, man. It, that's why it's so difficult for people to kick an addiction. And they'll just go through anything to satisfy the, what the brain is telling them they need. And, and in those times, it's hard for them to be good parents. It's not that they didn't want to be. And that's that's very hard for me, right? 
because Dean wanted to be so many biological parents who lost their children to foster care because they weren't properly taking care of their children, and it was so bad that their kids were in a harmful, harmful situation. That's why they're taken away. It's not that they wanted to parent that way. A lot of them they just couldn't parent the way they should have, and because of situations they lost control of, and 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 it's tough. And so when we uh adopted uh zeta we made we we made sure it was an open adoption because we wanted her family to still her biological family to still be part of her life we wanted zeta to still have her biological family and us right and and that's helping her biological family with their issues because now they're not struggling with oh, we lost our child because of this and then given up, right? You know, I mean, imagine you're a parent who didn't want to lose your child, but you couldn't stop doing what you're doing because you had no control over it. Now you lost your child. How's that going to affect your desire to finally kick whatever it is you were struggling to get over? But what if this foster parent who's adopting your child has decided to let it be an open adoption so you can see your child that opens up that that window of hope that you can someday be even bigger part of your child's life still and give you more time to kick your addiction right um and and that's another big part of what what uh, another big part of why I feel really good about what we've done is because we're not just helping this child that we adopted we're helping her whole family. And we 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 just went to her biological grandmother's house for for Easter, right? And her biological mom was there and her half sister was there and they're all bonding and we did we went to uh and then um uh, we also went to um uh, Sunsplash and did go-kart racing and video games and stuff with each other. And like we didn't just adopt uh Zeta, we adopted her family, right? Um uh, and I think that's been a big, big deal for her family. Like, it was, yeah, once they knew that we were open, going to do open adoption, the, the tension was gone for them. They're like, you, we feel really good. You know, this whole time you've been fostering your our child, you've been so good at taking care of her, and it's clear that you love her. But, you know, I, I we want... They were still fighting for custody. They wanted to have the custody back. But once we opened that and said, look, we'll adopt her. We'll, we'll do an open adoption. You're not a danger. Just because you were not parenting your child in the way that she was safe doesn't mean you're a danger to your child. Okay. So, or to us. So now they're family to us. They come over, they'll, they'll sleep over at our house. You know, we have a spare room and they sleep in their room and they visit. And, um, you know, so we now have this bigger family, you know. So it's all really good. First and foremost, just I, I do I do want to dig a little bit more into that birth family connection piece. But um, the acknowledgement that the birth families of our kids in care are not these horrifying people that sometimes the news or media books movies all of that stuff makes them out to be more often than not from my decade of experience and working in this system and 
um, meeting families is that more often than not, they are people who are self-medicating because of their own traumas, the things that they themselves have experienced, um, or who, as you said, did get caught up in addiction because they had some sort of a medical issue, a surgery, something like that. And then they wound up getting hooked on painkillers um, or people that had themselves been in foster care. And so we're seeing generational foster care. Um, I've, I've worked with grandparents who were in foster care, whose children were then in foster care, whose, and then the, their children's children were in foster care. Um, and they asked me, how do we stop this? How do we break this cycle? Um, and I think that that is one of the really critical things that I am constantly trying to do is remind people that we do need to have empathy for the birth families, the families of origin of our kids too, because they are also human. They have made a mistake, a big mistake. Their kids are in foster care. Their kids are in foster care for a reason. They were not being properly cared for. But what I ask people quite frequently is, if you had made what's probably the biggest mistake in your entire life, wouldn't you want the chance to fix that? And so that's what I ask people is, if, if this was your kids, if this was your situation, wouldn't you want the chance? Wouldn't you hope that the people on the other side of that table are giving you the chance to fix what you did so you can get your kids back? Um, on the birth family connections piece for just a second, um, because I, you know, I, I do know that there were, there were definitely times when there were families that struggled with this concept that you had their kids. Um, how long did it take for you or what did it take for, for you, um, as a family, not just you as an individual to get to a place where, you were able to make that connection to birth family. Like you're talking about this amazing connection with um, your kiddo's family. And, and so what did that take? Okay. So, you know, we've had multiple experiences and, um, you know, there was, we were fostering these two, two siblings and I don't think we ever got past attention with them. Um, but we still, they the, the their children eventually did go back to them. They happened to lose them again. Um, at that point, we had too many children at home, so we couldn't take them back. So they went to another foster family. But we still stay in contact with them. Like, we go to the birthday parties. And so we're still part of their life, even though we're not their foster parents anymore. But then uh, with Zeta, the, um, you know, um, the, the, it was an interesting situation um she had some birth they um they had kin that wanted to take her take her in um but there was a lot of complex issues because they're out of the country and you know all kinds of different stuff going on and we actually met them in a visitation and um and we had to really when we went to visitations we went we we were there too uh, we got to spend time with the family and get to know them and they could see that we were not, you know, evil possessors of their children. You know, we are, that we were actually there and we wanted to help them. Um, and we were not against them. We had, we had no negativity towards them at all. And, you know, as, uh, you know, I know what it's like to, to, you know, deal with trauma and, and, um, 
had, you know, suffered tragedies in, in life. And as a teacher, you know, I, I turned my classroom into a sanctuary. The kids knew it was safe to leave their baggage outside the door and they can be themselves in my classroom. Right. And, and because I know that a lot of the kids are going through stuff they shouldn't go through. Um, and it's the same with these, um, the, the parents that have lost their children. Um, they, they've gone through stuff that's gotten them where they are. And we're, we're not in a position to judge that because we don't know what it is they've gone through. They could have gone through some terrible stuff they never deserved to go through. And that's why they're at where they're at. Right. And that's why we need to just serve with compassion and empathy. So, and that's what we did. And they, we, it was very clear to them that we were there to serve them, you know, to, to just be a help for their family. And in this case, it was helping them raise a child. And they saw that we loved their children. And so the more and more we got together with them in these visitations, it was easier for them to see that. And they, they the walls came down, you know. Well, and that's kind of the core of, of why resource parents, you know, a lot of the time when we're out in, in the world, we'll still talk about foster parents. Um, because yeah. that's just the term that everybody knows. Yeah. But... And I always forget we're called resource parents, but I say foster parents. I still say it, and I'm the one that recruits them. Um, <laughs> but but the really important thing is that we have to, it's not just a pretty name change. There are some serious logistical differences that yeah. the parents themselves might never know. Um, but it's also it it is a philosophical shift as well, in that we don't just yeah. want people to be foster parents we do need people to be a resource for their community how do they do that they do it by helping the children and the children's family in some way shape or form um, you all have gone the extra mile on that going to visits things like that like that is definitely more than i think what a lot of families might necessarily do but i had it easy though i had it easy though you know which is why i told my story earlier is that, you know, I learned that the easiest way to have a good life and to have joy in your life is to help others have joy. No matter what bad things are going on in your life, if you're spreading joy to others, you can't help but not have joy for yourself. And so by helping others, serving others, you have a good life. And you don't you don't question whether you should help someone or not. You just do it. I was training last week. And one of the new families that I was training said something that um, was very poignant. It, it resonates very strongly. He was contemplating birth family connection and all of these things. Um, and what he said was, what we all have to remember is that love is not a zero sum game. Yep. Um, that what you showed by being present for visits, by having this ongoing connection um, to to your kiddo's birth family, all of that is that when we share love, it doesn't mean that someone else is losing out, yep. that she has even more people in her life who love her, um, that she's allowed to love all of those people, that it doesn't diminish what she has for you and Melissa and her siblings um, if she still also loves these other people that she's connected to. Exactly. It's you know, what's interesting about that, though, is that my kids are all, because they're now extended family to all of us, 
Mm-hmm. They're they're family to my kids too. Let's not just say this. They're they're family to our biological. They're all our kids, and they're all their kids. They're all family now. And and you know the thing your your um your other resource parent said the same exact thing I say about joy, right? If you want to have a better quality life, you know you have the first thing you need to understand is is that spreading joy brings yourself more joy. It's not a zero sum game. I say that that exact terminology. Joy is not a zero sum game. Okay, if you spread the joy to someone else, you just spread it to yourself as well, and ju- it just becomes, um, you know, it grows. The joy grows exponentially. You know, exactly. This is the kind of question that can stump people sometimes. What is your proudest moment as a parent or as a resource parent? Well, um, my proudest, my proudest moment, it happens all the time. And that's, you know, getting the, the, see my baby Zeta. I call her my baby girl. I'll call her my, my sweetie sweet. You know, I call her buggy, you know, and, um, just seeing her smile and having fun with me every day. Um, I'm always so proud of the relationship I have with, with buggy, you know, um, and, you know, she, she, I call her buggy because, um, she's our little Zeta bug, and so she has a ladybug theme ever since she was born. And uh, and one day I came home in a leprechaun outfit for St. Patrick's Day, and she called me Elfie because I looked like an elf. And for months and months, she called me Elfie and says, oh, hey, you can call me Elfie. I'm going to call you Buggy. And she doesn't call me Elfie anymore, but I still call her Buggy. Um, but it fits. She has this big old bike helmet with a big old googly eyes, and, it, and it's a ladybug helmet. And she looks like a giant bug, you know. It's, she's adorable. Uh, I, I, I love Zeta Bug. And the thing is with, with Zeta Bug is that um, we had Zenith. Zenith was born a couple months before um, Zeta joined us, and so Melissa was already, uh, you know, taking care of a baby. And when we had Zeta come in, and when Zeta came in, she was a brand new baby too. So she was nurturing Zenith. And it was my job to nurture Zeta, so I, so every day I changed her diaper. I fed, I bottle fed her all you know throughout the day. I I napped with her on the couch. I I I did all those things. I was mama for the first time ever. I had the mama experience, right? And so I have this different bond with Zeta Bug than I have with anybody else. I I think my connection with 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 Zeta Bug is um, the they're all the connections. All the children are special, but I think there's a little extra specialness with Zeta. She's definitely a papa, papa's girl. Um, my last question is if you were talking to someone and they said, oh yeah, I want to become a resource parent and I've already thought about it and all of that stuff. Why should people who are contemplating being resource parents join Stanford Sierra Youth and Families? Well, I, I think um, the connections that we made with with you guys uh, was was paramount. I mean, you know, there was constant contact. And if we ever need anything, you you guys were there. And um, when we'd gone to to any training, we people knew who we were. Like we we weren't treated like, oh, there's just another resource parent. Oh, did you are the research? No, everyone knew our names. They knew who we were. They knew our story. Like you, is clear that you guys didn't just care about 
you know the kids but you also care about your resource parents and 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 whatnot and so your organization is legitimate like it's not about you know it's not a program that's just out there okay we're going to collect some funds and we're going to do this and we're going to get get some you know news about us in the air and we're going to you know get all this pride and stuff you know a lot of organizations are are just based on public image right but you guys weren't about that you guys were about actually building relationships with the kids you guys knew the kids like you guys know the kids and you you, you and, and you're you're not just passing a kid along you actually know these kids you know, you build relationships with the kids as much as we did um when you had when you were in the presence of the kids you know um and so you i mean you guys are the real deal i mean it's just it, it's not just a a, a public relations thing you know in, in trying to just build some organization and have pride in building the same organization your your focus is actually on uh, getting to know people and being part of their lives and, and that's what being a resource parent is right and so you're kind of an extension of of us as resource parents so i'm an avid collector of people's life stories <laughs> um well, Eric, I think that is everything that I have for today. I, I'm really grateful for your time, always. It's great to connect. It's great to see you. Um, and I'm pretty stoked that we got to have this chance to kind of catch up and talk today. Yeah, it's been cool. Yeah, I appreciate you reaching out and, the, and, the, and asking me to uh, join you on the, the podcast. And, you know, I, I like helping people. And so if uh, that's what I'll, that's what I'm all about. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. If I had to have some closing thoughts for today, I think that it would be that people are really scared of foster care sometimes. And that sometimes we do talk about the heavy things a lot. We talk about trauma and we talk about um, attachment and we talk about disruption. Um, but what about when it's just family? You know, what about that important aspect that being a resource family means being a family? And who does that family include? It can include not only the child in care and your children, but also the child in care's family, their relatives. And you can make this massive, amazing experience, this truly beautiful experience. Um, given enough time, given enough energy, and and yeah, given enough love. I always hope that people will reach out to us to learn more, um, that they will decide that they want to attend one of our orientations or just talk with one of our social workers. You can always get a hold of us at our main office line, 916-368-5114, or you can visit our website, ssyaf.org. Remember, remember, remember to like, comment, and share on any of our social media posts, and especially those about the podcast, if I may be so bold. I have a vested interest there because I like this getting out into the world. Hopefully you have a chance to listen to additional episodes if you have not done so before. And until we get a chance to talk to you again, I do always hope that you will keep on thriving. <laughs>